You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. So this week we're talking about faith. Faith, I think, is one of those things that's over-talked about, but at the same time never actually really talked about. In Christian circles, I feel like sometimes faith is just... It's one of those things where it's like a basic knowledge of Christianity. We know we're supposed to have faith. We know what um, faith in God is. At least we think we know what it is. And it's become a pillar of our Christian faith. It's become a pillar of the Christian walk. But yet we've never really gotten deep into faith, what faith actually is. I feel like it's one of those things where we talk about it and we talk about it and we talk about it. But secretly, a lot of us kind of have a hard time really identifying what faith looks like, what the application of faith to our walk really translates into. We go from, you need to have faith, to, all right, so what does that look like? But we're almost too embarrassed to talk about it because it's one of those pillars of the faith. And so we feel weird. We're like, I'm supposed to be a solid Christian. I don't really want to ask like what application of faith is supposed to look like. What is it supposed to look like in my life? And so we just kind of accept that we have faith and we, we accept that we need to have faith and we try to have more faith and we ask for more faith, but we've still never really addressed what faith really is. So by definition, faith has two definitions. The first definition is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Does anybody have a piece of paper, just a spare piece of paper that I can throw away? Anybody? I totally forgot to grab one. It's trash? Yeah. You sure? You want to check? (laughs) She doesn't have faith that it's not trash. Perfect. See, I had faith in you guys that one of you had had paper and actually take notes in service like a good Christian would. Thank you, Courtney. All right, so if I take this paper and I ball it up to a tiny little ball, coming at you, Chris, I'm picking on you this week. You ready? That's so simple. But there's so many levels of faith, even within what you just saw. I know it's stupid. I'm not a big fan of of, uh, over-the-top, ridiculously cheesy visual aids. But what really happened there is Chris had faith in a lot of things with that. He had faith in gravity. He had faith in my ability to throw a ball of trash. He had faith that he could actually catch it, which he didn't. Faith was in the wrong place. Kind of. He had faith that his eyes would accurately track the object coming at his faith, having it at his face, not his faith. And he had faith that the paper didn't weigh a thousand pounds and didn't uh, weigh more than it really should have within our understanding of what a piece of paper weighs. I know that sounds really basic, but it's it's true faith. He had true confidence. In all of those things, especially in the last one, that it wasn't something that was going to hurt him. It wasn't an object that was going to hurt him when he reached out to catch it. He had complete faith. 
But when you look at the second definition of faith, you see something completely different. The second definition of faith is a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. See, they've taken the Christian definition of faith, they've taken the, what faith means to Christians, and even within the dictionary, they've tried to dumb it down to something less than what faith is supposed to be. They've taken it from something that is complete trust or confidence into a strong belief in spiritual apprehension rather than proof. It's no longer about complete trust, and it becomes about strong belief. I think when we talk about Christian faith, we start to dumb it down a little bit. We start to pretend that maybe it's not what it is supposed to be, and we, we've taken even faith within Scripture, and we've dumbed it down in order to accurately understand what faith is. And I feel like the faith that Scripture is talking about is closer defined to the first definition of faith and less than the spiritual definition of faith that we just read here in the dictionary. I feel like faith is more accurately described by the first definition. And I feel like when I think about faith within Scripture, and I'm looking within Scripture, and I'm trying to figure out what is true faith within Scripture, I think of two stories. And these two stories actually occur on the same day within Scripture. The first story, they're both very familiar stories. The first story is Jesus feeding the 5,000. The disciples were talking to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. It's getting real late. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We need to send these people home so they can get a meal. And Jesus says, we're going to feed them, basically. Long story short, he says, let them stay. We'll give them something to eat. So he sends the disciples out, and they get five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And then they do. And then he says, feed them. This displays faith on two different levels. The first level, Jesus obviously had faith that that food was going to feed everybody. Because how embarrassing. You're Jesus Christ. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. And you say, I'm going to feed everybody. And you send the food out, and it only feeds two people. It's a little embarrassing. But at the same time, there was faith in the disciples, or the disciples also showed faith. Faith that what Jesus was saying was going to happen actually would happen because they still had to pass out the food. I like that story, and I feel like it defines faith as far as how Jesus had complete 100% assurance that what he said was going to happen was going to happen. There was no doubt in Jesus' mind. There was no um, reservation. He knew that that food was going to feed everybody. It was complete, 100% trust in, in what he knew. So later on that night, Jesus has sent the disciples out on a boat. And I feel like that first story of faith built into the second story of faith. I feel like sometimes without that first story of faith, the second story of faith wouldn't have even occurred. So later on, Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat, and he comes up, and he scares the snot out of them because they think he's a ghost, and they start freaking out. And he's like, guys, it's me. It's Jesus. Calm down. And so Peter says, if that's really you, tell me to come. Tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. And then what you see next is, 
an extremely awesome display of faith because Peter had faith that A, it really was Jesus telling him to come. And B, if Jesus said he could walk on water, he's going to walk on water. And so he does, and he gets out of the boat, and he walks on water. I feel like a lot of times when we focus on the latter part of this story, the, the evening part of this story, we, we tend to focus on the wrong thing. We focus on the fact that Peter faltered, and he doubted Jesus, and he began to slip. As soon as he began doubting, he no longer could walk on the water, and he began slipping and falling underneath the water and reaches out, and Jesus has to catch him and pull him up. I feel like sometimes we focus on this so much and we talk about the doubting part of it. And even though it's a great teaching tool and it's a great opportunity to talk about what doubt can do, what doubt can do to us in general, I think that there's another part of this story that is way more important and way more uh, significant and way more teachable. The fact that Peter walked on water. Like we talk about the doubt so much, we forget the fact that Peter walked on water like, name three people that have ever walked on water since then. Like, name three friends. Do you have three friends that have walked on water? I can't think of a single person. Like, that's insane. Peter walked on water. But yeah, we tend to focus on the fact that eventually he slipped. That's like taking J.R.R. Tolkien... And even though he's written one of the most epic books, epic trilogies of all time, it'd be like saying he spelled a word wrong on the last page. And then instead of knowing J.R.R. Tolkien as the writer of the Lord of the Rings, we know him as the dude that accidentally spelled I know wrong to finish out his book. It's completely ignoring the epicness of Jesus walking on water just to focus on the last couple seconds of what happened. Because Peter literally put more faith in Jesus Christ than gravity. Like, think about that. He put more faith in Jesus than even a, a, a truth that we know of as gravity. That's the kind of faith I want. I want the kind of faith that if God tells me, hey, I want you to ignore gravity. I want you to ignore everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever learned, everything that you've ever seen or believed in your life. And I want you to trust me that you can get out of that boat and you can walk on water. I want to have enough faith to do it. Which ironically, that's exactly where our faith should take us. It should take us out of the boat. It should take us out of our comfort zone. Faith if, is not something that just leaves you where you're at. Strong faith grows you. If you're stagnant and you're not growing, sometimes, a lot of times, it means you need to get out of your comfort zone. It means you need to get out of the boat. It means you need to have faith. I like to be vulnerable as a pastor. Those of you guys that are new, I'm, I'm vulnerable. You'll probably see me cry from the pulpit more than once. You'll probably see me share information about my life that you've maybe never had a pastor share from a pulpit. But I'm a very upfront, I'm a very real, I'm a very emotional person, and I don't hide that. 
because I want to be as true as a, 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 I want the person you see standing in front of you a pulp, in the pulpit, the same person that you see when I'm hanging out with you watching football or when I'm playing disc golf with you or when we're out having coffee or something like that. I want to be up here to be the same person. And so in sharing some of that vulnerability, since my wife and I became directors of Chi Alpha here at Shatter State, um, since we started in the position as directors, my mom has passed away. My dad's got an inoperable cancer for the second time and is looking uh, death in the face even as we speak. My wife has been diagnosed with incurable disease. I've had friends turn their back on me because I'm a pastor. I've had people directly mock my faith to my face. I've had people talk about me behind my back. I've had so many people gossip about me and undermine me as a pastor that I couldn't even begin to count how many times that it's happened. And I don't want you to get me wrong here. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying, woe is me. I'm not saying, oh, I'm, I'm struggling so bad. I'm trying to illustrate a point here. And I want you to focus on this. I want you to pay attention really close right now. Even through all those problems, I'm going to share with you some of the miracles I've seen since I've been the director of Chi Alpha. <clears throat> I've seen tumors healed. I've seen muscles healed. I've had muscles healed miraculously. I've seen joints healed. I've seen depression removed. I've seen addictions literally disappear instantly. I've seen people hear from God and go tell somebody what they heard, and it was exactly what they were praying for. We've had two different students planning on committing suicide get wrecked for God and get radically changed, no longer contemplating suicide. Through the tragedy, through the hardship, through the, the junk, I still have faith that God is still doing something. Even though my dad is facing uh, esophageal cancer, that I still have faith that God is doing something. I still pray for him every single time I see him. I still know that God was doing something behind the scenes because some of you guys that know me personally know that my mom was extremely close to me and her death was painful and tragic and it hurt a lot. But my dad is now a Christian because my mom died. So behind the scenes, even though there was stuff going on I couldn't see, God was still faithful. As tragic as it was my mom passing away and as hard as it hurt, I still get to, to fellowship and with a, as a Christian with my dad now. That was never the case. Never the case in the past. And I know now that no matter what my dad is facing, I will still get to see him again in heaven. It's a weird way to look at things, but ultimately, when you have faith, you're choosing to believe the things you can't see over the things you can see. You're choosing to believe that God's got his hand in everything that's going wrong, even when the, the building is burning down around you, to have faith that Jesus is still doing something, that he is still faithful. And so you can choose to walk in faith, or you can choose to walk in fear. You can choose to walk in faith, or you can choose to walk in what is right in front of you and cower to it. Because really what happens is the enemy comes in and he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. We know that saying, the enemy is going to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's true. Do you believe it? Do you believe that when you walk out from here, the enemy has an agenda? 
that he knows people, and he's going to try to secretly guide you away from your, your faith in Christ. That he's going to begin whispering things in your ear. That he's going to begin showing you things. He's going to begin trying to direct you away, away from even Chi Alpha. I always say when things go wrong, it's going to happen on a Tuesday night for my wife and I. Almost always, everything always comes up on a Tuesday night. But when you choose to walk in faith, what you are doing is you are navigating away from the enemy. You are navigating away from him and what he wants to do with your life and you are undoing all of his plans and you are following Christ's plans. The other day I was driving home and I don't even think I told my wife this. I was driving home and this emotion came over me and it was one of the most intense emotions I've ever felt. It was, it was, I knew for a fact that I was going to die right that second. Like I'm driving down the highway and it was such a real emotion. It was like I knew for a fact the, the pickup I was driving was going to be destroyed and was going to be totaled and I was going to die. And it was such a real emotion that I began to tear up. And as soon as I called out to God, that emotion went away. And I knew exactly what was happening. The enemy wanted to attack me. The enemy was coming in and he was trying to whisper things to me that were not true. I know you guys know the feeling of driving down the highway. If you've ever driven down a highway, I bet 99% of you guys in here have had the thought, oh, I should just drive this car off the cliff, or oh, I should just wreck really quick. I know you're staring at me kind of funny, but I know you guys have because we've all had that split-second thought of just, oh, I should just wreck the car. Oh, what would happen if I just ran into the car coming the other direction? What would happen if I just drove this car off the ditch? I'm not even talking about being depressed. I'm just talking about those thoughts we have sometimes when we're driving. How many of you guys have ever, show of hands, be honest. A little reluctant, but we've all had that thought. It's not out of a place of depression. It's not crazy. You've had those thoughts. I know you have because I've had those thoughts. And everybody I've ever talked to has had those thoughts. I can't, I don't even know if I know of more than two people that have ever come up to me and said, oh, actually, I've never actually had that thought before. Can't tell me all of us in here have shared that and the enemy isn't whispering to us. So in that story I told about Peter, at the very end, he begins to falter. At the very end, he begins to look at his circumstances. He begins to focus on reality. Gravity's real. He's out in the water. He's going to sink. He begins focusing on the wrong things. Like Peter, we have to be just like him and we have to keep our focus on Christ. We have to keep our eyes on God because your decisions reflect your faith. Will you keep Christ's commands or will you do what you please? Will you go to small group or will you watch another five hours on Netflix? Where you share about Jesus to your roommate? Or will you invite them even to the service next week? Or will you just hope somebody else will do it? Will you make sure that you're being discipled so that you can go out and eventually make disciples? Or will you reason that you have too much homework? Your decisions reflect your faith. If you have faith that what Jesus says is really real, you have no choice than to keep his commands because it is a serious nature. And you know that your life, you know what 
Christ dying on the cross really, dying on the cross really cost. Sometime in here I'll share my testimony, but a part of my testimony is I know for a fact that I would not be alive if it wasn't for Christ taking away some of my addictions that I had when I was in my uh, lower 20s. I literally would not be alive if it wasn't for what Christ had done in my life. And so if I really drew believe those things and I really have that faith, then I feel like I have no option than to serve him because I owe him everything. And I do it out of love, not out of obligation. But unfortunately, your list of pain, your list of suffering, your list of circumstances, your list of struggle tells you that none of this matters, that none of this is real, that none of this really is going to apply to your life, that everything else that you can tangibly see in front of you is more important. Sometimes life is even going to tell you that you don't matter. Sometimes life's going to say that you're not important. But Jesus thought otherwise. Jesus thought you mattered. Because when you leave here, there's going to be a list of a thousand items. You could probably list out a thousand items, and on that list, you can take that list and you can combine it with other people here of another thousand items per person of reasons why none of this matters. And then you can combine that list to the 3,000 people who live on this campus, and you'll have thousands and thousands of reasons why none of this matters. And then you can combine that with the rest of our nation. You can come up with a list that is so long you couldn't even read it of reasons why none of this matters and why all of this sucks and why life is just crap. There's enough crap to go around. There's enough struggle to go around. I can't even understand the struggles you're probably going through. You probably can't even understand the struggles I'm going through. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of crap. There's a lot of garbage. And so I'm asking you tonight, will you choose, instead of paying attention to that list, instead of even giving that list the time of day, will you instead come alongside with me, come alongside with my wife, Courtney, come alongside with the women small group leaders and the male small group leaders, my staff? Will you come alongside us instead and choose to put our faith in Jesus, put our actions in Jesus? Will we step out in our faith? Will we say that I'm not content with where I'm at? I want to get closer to God. I want to grow closer to Jesus. I want to grow this year. I don't want to be stagnant. I want to get closer. I'm tired of being stuck, tired of feeling like I'm going in circles. I want to grow. So I'm going to finish up with this. Hebrews 11, if you want to turn to it in your phone or your Bibles. Hebrews 11, I want you to bookmark it. Even if you, because we're not going to read the whole thing here. I'm not going to waste your time like that. I'm going to quote a couple pieces of it, but I encourage you to read all of Hebrews 11 and 12. Go through, read it. Specifically talks about faith, and I feel like Scripture defines faith even better than I can define faith. And so I encourage you to go through it and read it and read what Scripture, how does Scripture defines um, faith more specifically. But we're going to start off, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
And then Hebrews 11 finishes out in verse 38 or verse 39. It says, these were all condemned for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Continuing into Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured on the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what faith looks like. I feel like that's the best definition of faith within Scripture, uh, actually attempting to define faith. That's what faith looks like. So I need to ask you guys, are you with me? Are you guys with me? You guys seem not very excited at all. Are you guys with me? I just told you that if you have faith, even though there's this long list of crap that you're going to have to deal with in life, yes, I said crap from a pulpit like 15 times, there's a long list to go on. You're not going to grow weary, and you're not going to lose heart if you have faith. If you choose to have faith, you won't grow weary. You feeling a little weary? That can go away. Losing a little heart? That can go away. So come on, Chi Alpha. Are you with me? Two of you are with me. Are you guys with me? Wake up. Are you guys with me? Don't believe you. Are you guys with me? Come on. Are you with me? Actually try and pretend like you mean what you're yelling. Are you with me? One person is with me. Let's stand up in faith and let's worship together before we close.